Jesus Christ, we love you. Lord, I pray that you could make it by your grace a genuine testimony of our life that we would say, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Lord, I pray that will be the cry of our hearts this morning as we hear from the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your spoken word. We thank you for its authority and its ability to change lives, to change hearts, to encourage, to strengthen, to bring humility. So, Lord, might your word have freedom this morning. Might Adam, as he preaches it, might you um, honor and bless the time that he has spent studying, and then might he proclaim it accurately and boldly. Lord, help us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. So, God, we thank you again for this time to worship together around your word, and it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you... Here at Redeemer Body, we've been going through the book of Revelation. Uh, For those of you who have not been with us to this point, just walked into the middle of a tornado. No, it it won't be near as hard uh, as one would suspect. As we look at Revelation, one thing that has been increasingly clear, at least to me, I trust to each of you, that things are not as mysterious as we might think. The larger meaning is accessible and very uh, easily acknowledged. We have been working our way through uh, Revelation to this point. This morning we'll be in chapter 10, and we'll get there in just a couple of moments. But as we have looked, indeed, if any of you have read through the book, and those of you at Redeemer who have been working your way through the book, we have covered the seals, the trump, well, we have covered the seal judgments. And we're in the midst of handling the trumpet judgments. And then there are the seven bowl judgments. And so we've been working our way through the book. And for a period of time with Redeemer Family, we've been looking at judgment and judgment and judgment. And as we have been looking at that, indeed, it has been mysterious in some of its elements. Who is this character? Who is that character? How is this happening place? What is this imagery? Yet I do come back once again It's not as difficult as we might think if we just pay attention and hear the voice of Holy Scripture. All three series of seven judgments, okay? The seals, the trumpets, and the bowls portray events and phenomena that occur repeatedly throughout the course of history between the first and second comings of Christ. Perhaps one has heard before that there will be a moment in time where all history will shift, world history. And even if you have not heard the message of Revelation up to this point, as our visitors have not, there is a word here for you. As each of us live in world history, the culmination of world history does matter. Whether we have walked through every piece of literature or not, we are all interested as participants in the culmination of world history. And Scripture gives us insight. But lest we think the seals are later, the trumpets are all to be later, and the bulls are all to be later, in a sense in which it speaks to a generation that we know not, might we think for a moment that they are pictures, portrayals of events that, and phenomena that occur repeatedly throughout the course of history between the first and second comings of Christ. All three series of seven judgments bring us to the consummation and the close of human history. We will see the final judgment of unbelievers. That is immediate implication if you receive that. It will lead us to the consummation of the age, and there will be judgment upon unbelievers. I was watching, I don't know if many of you did, uh, uh, Barbara Walters' special on 2020. Heaven and how do we get there? Any of you watched that? It was interesting for like the first 10 minutes. Then it kind of faded and got old. 
cyclical, various people, scholars weighing in on heaven and where is it and how do we get there. And and that's all it was, was recurring scholarship that was varying worldviews and religious worldviews that then weighed in on the contents of heaven, what it is, how we get there, when it will appear, and what is its primary purpose, and what is your purpose right now in light of heaven that is to come. By the, uh, the body language that you're giving me, I might be the only one who has watched this special. So let me inform you. There was not a sense for the culmination of human history that is meaningful. For the glory of God and the exaltation of Christ, God, in popular culture, even in scholarship, is not the center of heaven. Do you see that's odd? Right? The highest being in all of the universe, his glorious radiance, is not the end. Something is more important to that. Something we have determined is of greater value than that. Through scholarship and interviews and actors and so forth, we find out that we are that value that is higher than that. And that we are the end to all things. If we were to look at the book of Revelation, indeed, we do not find that is the case. God is the end. He and his glory is the meaning and the celebration of heaven. As we work through the book of Revelation, we are seeing that. And I want to point to you a bit bring the visitors along as well as our family along as we are working our way across the book. How are we getting there? How do we see that indeed God is the end of all things? And he is what heaven is about. The exaltation of his son and his radiance, that is heaven. Even more so than our loved ones who have gone perhaps before us. Jesus is the center of all things. And Scripture is telling us that, not just in Revelation, but it's telling us that all the way from Genesis to Revelation, that it's Jesus who is the center of all things. Your significance is united in Him, not in your autonomy, pursuing your own heaven. Revelation repeatedly shows us that through patterns. By way of introduction, as we consider the general pattern, I don't know if some of you have come along and seen the pattern that is being established throughout the book of Revelation. There is a pattern that is established of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, and then within Revelation there is also more patterns. Sometimes it can be confusing handling our Holy Scriptures, thinking how is all of this computing together to make a coherent whole or to make sense. And we get lost sometimes in detail and we miss the beauty of the forest by stepping back and seeing there's a grand plan and things are working, dare we say, according to plan. And patterns emerge throughout Scripture that show us God has an intent for human history. And he is achieving those ends. A general pattern has shown us through the judgments of the seals and the judgments of the trumpets so far. And that the judgments, six in the seal judgments, that is the lamb, if you have not been with us. The Lord Jesus Christ takes the seal from the Father and he begins to take this scroll, rather. And he begins to break open its seals, making clear its contents. And these seals that are breaking, there are seven of them across this scroll. And as he breaks them, human history experiences the trial and the tribulation of these judgments at that moment. And when is he beginning to break these seals? At the moment of his ascension. 
after the resurrection. Human history experiences preliminary judgment in the earth. And it is indeed preliminary, for it is growing stronger and stronger across human history to the culmination and the consummation of human history. It's not just later. It began at the resurrection, and it will be brought to consummation at the return. These sealed judgments, we have six of them that begin to open up. Boom, 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 boom. Then there's a pause before the seventh. Do you recall Redeemer family? That takes place in chapter 7, where we see the identity of these 144,000 people. And then we begin to study the 144,000, and we find out that they are the church of Jesus Christ. They're sealed by God to go through the difficult seal judgments. And then we explored what is the sealing activity of God, but indeed it is the gospel. The only difference between those who will suffer judgment and those who will not suffer judgment is God. The sealing activity of God is what makes one's outcome different. How can we be sealed by God that we might not suffer the consequence of the seal judgments? The man Christ Jesus, that is how the gospel that has been proclaimed in his name, that is how one comes to be hidden in him. All I have is Christ, and I'm hidden in him. I am, Revelation 7, sealed by him. I belong to him. The same pattern emerges with the trumpets. We have the trumpets that then blast and sound forth after the seals. That's just where we are at right now. And there is six trumpets that sound. Boom, 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 boom. I was going to do it without my fingers, but I thought some of you are probably counting. And I would get it wrong. And with the six trumpets that blast, there is, wait, this is similar, a pause, and then the seventh. Do you see the pattern? Six seals, pause, seventh. Six trumpets, pause, seven. How are we to understand these patterns and what are they teaching us? There is a general pattern that is being taught to us about judgment. This morning, we'll be looking at the first portion of the divine break after the seventh trumpet, before, after the sixth, before the seventh. I want to read for you a text out of Exodus, a couple of texts out of Exodus. And you're thinking, how is Exodus? Uh, I thought we were going to do Revelation 10. And indeed, we're going to find something that is beautiful out of a pattern that is being established in God's redeeming program that began in Exodus and is finding its culmination in the church of Revelation. I read for you out of uh, Exodus 8 and 9, if you're a note taker, and you can look these texts over perhaps a little bit later, but let me read for you as I can keep moving out of chapter 8. You know, this is the portion of the plagues that are being poured out on Egypt in light of Israel and their captivity. God is redeeming Israel with an outstretched arm, and he is pouring forth judgment on his enemies. Does that seem similar to you in the book of Revelation? God is pouring forth judgment on his enemies, and he is saving Israel. Listen to the pattern of salvation through judgment. God says this, Exodus chapter 8, I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Think about this individual this morning. I just ask you to please meditate with me through these texts. I will put a division between my people and your people. This is similar, right, to the sealing activity of God. Some are sealed. 
some are not. Right here in the first work, as we see the work of redemption on a corporate level, where Israel is being gathered out of Egypt and being drawn out with an outstretched arm, and then they are given a portion of land of promise, this homeland, this, this place of milk and honey, taking them out and drawing them in. He is making a division between these people and my people in the work of redemption through judgment. Think about this in moment between you and your relationship to Christ. If this proves the way indeed that God is acting in human history, who are you? If there is a division between God's people and not being God's people, where are we this morning? Are we one of God's people? And is there a division between being God's child and not? I continue with you through Exodus 9. But the Lord will make a distinction between even the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel will die. Do you see Israel? Living in the midst of judgment. Yet God is for them. Keeping them. Sustaining them. To where not even a livestock of their own will die. In the midst of judgment with livestock dying. Do you see the pattern that is emerging here? Of the covenant faithfulness of God to his people. Even in the midst of judgment. And how are you in relationship to him? I continue with you for one more text here. It says, only in the land of Goshen, this is God speaking of Israel, only in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were, was there no hail that fell. Verse 24, before that there was a hail and firestorm flashing continually in the midst of all the hail. Very heavy Hail, such had never been experienced in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt. Both man and beast died. And the hail struck down every plant of the field, broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Is our pattern emerging? And does that pattern continue in human history today, awaiting the consummation of all things? Is there still a distinction between God's people and not God's people? And are you one of God's people? It continues for my last one. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven. That there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see even one another, nor did anyone arise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel, they had light where they lived. Salvation through judgment. God sealing and caring for his people. What I'm pointing at this morning is there is not just a general pattern of judgment, but there is a redemptive pattern that is emerging. A redeeming pattern of God's people from Exodus to Revelation. In the Old Covenant, we read of Israel, as I just read for you, Israel's exodus from Egypt. And what I read from you out of Revelation is the new Israel's exodus from Babylon. This is not radically new. The work of the book of Revelation isn't altogether distinct. But it is a part of a redeeming pattern that the Lord has established in gathering his own through Judgment. And once again, the word of application that falls to you if you embrace the thought of redemption. 
embrace the thought of judgment. Is there a distinction between God's people and not God's people? And are you one of God's people? Consider with me the four elements that are parallel. Now, if you would please turn to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10, as I continue to kind of build on this thought of a pattern between Israel's exodus from Egypt, as John writes to the first century church. That is, I do believe that the book of Revelation is written somewhere in the 90s of the first century. And that is, Israel's exodus from Egypt serves as the redeeming pattern that John is writing. And the redeeming pattern from Israel's exodus from Egypt is now emerging to be the new Israel's exodus from Babylon. Babylon now becomes the enemy of God's people in the book of Revelation. Consider with me four elements this morning that are parallel as we kind of digest our text in just a moment out of chapter 10. But there's four elements that I want to show you that are parallel in the redeeming pattern of God gathering his own while he is pouring forth judgment on their enemies. Number one, the first pattern that we see is God's approaching Moses. God's approach to Moses is the first portion of the pattern that we see emerging in the work of redemption. It's the same approach that we will read about in Revelation 10. Consider with me God's approach to Moses. It is this way. I read for you out of chapter 2 of Exodus. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. Do you recall this saint? Israel in captivity to Egypt. Here in the very first portion of the book of Exodus is this great redemptive event where God appears and he hears the groaning of his people. You remember they're the seed, the offspring of Abraham? He made a covenant with them that he would care for them. Yet here they sit in captivity and difficulty. Yet God is roused to fulfill his covenant. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God, hearing their groaning, remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. That is quite simply, if you were with this text and the thought, God heard his people's cry for help and rescue. In Revelation chapter 8, God hears the cries of his people and is moved to deliverance. Do you remember that? Of course, many of you, the visitors are with us, are like, I don't quite remember that. No. So for some of the pattern here, I do apologize. Yet I trust there is a great word here of strength for you. Revelation 8, we hear of God's people praying and asking for deliverance. Indeed, just as with Israel of the Old Covenant, he heard their cries for help and rescue, and he was roused to deliver. Do you see the pattern emerging? God is faithful to keep his covenant, even in trial and tribulation. Are you a child of the covenant? Have you trusted in the covenant-keeping Son, Jesus Christ? Are you found in Him? And in trial and tribulation, like Israel of old, so too you, saint, cry out for deliverance and help, and He hears and will so deliver. This is not new, and our God is not new. It is his work and covenant to hear the cries of his people. Exodus 2, Revelation 8. The second element that is parallel to the work of God's redeeming his people throughout human history, as we see from Exodus all the way to Revelation, is secondly, God saves through judgment. That is, he works his salvation in the earth in the same manner as he always God saves 
Not in the absence of judgment, but through judgment. In Exodus, God brings the great plagues upon Egypt to deliver his people. In Revelation 8 and 9, we see the exact same plagues appear yet again in human history. In both cases, Revelation 8 and 9, and indeed the book of Exodus and the great plagues poured forth on Egypt, God brings salvation through judgment. There's going to be a word. I want you to tuck that away in your mind just briefly because as we get to the end of Revelation 10 this morning in just a few moments, we're going to see what is humanity's typical response to judgment. What is it? But God is offering salvation through judgment. Do you live in a difficult age right now? Does that reflect in your relationships? Does it reflect in your job? Does it reflect in the brokenness within which you feel internally? Is there a judgment that's befallen upon humanity and that we live in a difficult time? And what does that compel you to do? Look away from yourself for the solution? Is God crying out through judgment for deliverance? Offering repentance? Offering salvation? Or are you left to experience judgment with no sense of alleviation? God is saving through judgment. Principally, this act of God saving through judgment has been seen in human history in the first century through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. God pouring forth his wrath upon his Son on a Roman cross that repentance might be preached in his name and salvation experienced. God saves through judgment. This is the free offer of the gospel. And it's not new. God saves through judgment. Third parallel experience between God's redeeming Israel from Exodus and the new Israel, excuse me, Israel's exodus from Egypt and the new Israel's exodus from Babylon is number three, the parallel between Pharaoh refused to repent. And it's the same response today through humanity. Perhaps this is your response to my preaching. Perhaps this is your thought and what I am saying. And that response is not new. Pharaoh, likewise, refused to repent I read this for you out of Exodus 11. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. All these things befell him. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Is it staggering to you? That if all of these are falling, hail and fire and, and uh, frogs and flies and locust and darkness that is felt. It's interesting. Yet he did not repent and let the people go. This is parallel, this is parallel to human response to the proclamations of God that he alone is king and they must submit. Just as Pharaoh did not repent of the works of his hands, neither do those who experienced the plagues of God. In Revelation 9, you were not with us. Some of you were not with us going through Revelation 9 to the family at Redeemer. You recall the great locusts that appear upon the earth's scene, bringing great devastating effect, causing many to mourn and long to die from its torment. Yet what do they do through judgment? Harden their hearts and refuse to repent. You know, it's almost, well, I, I've, been alluding, I've been making reference to music too much lately in my messages yesterday. I was reminded of that. Yet I could not think, hit me with your best 
shot. Come on and fire away. Am I the only one that's heard that song before? Your body language is interesting to me this morning. Right? Come on, I got another spot for you. I can take it right here on my chin. Fire away. This is the response of people to God's judgment. Is that all you got? You hit like a girl, we might see in the movies. Hit me with your best shot. It's staggering, folks. If we were in the book of Revelation, chapter 9, yet again this morning, which we are not, were we to be there, it's staggering about what that text says about holiness and judgment and sin. How is salvation to be achieved? If it cannot be simply achieved through judgment and a change of the mind to think different, I can be assailed with every kind of demonic host that there is, and I will say, hit me with your best shot. Fire away. Even though I long to die in this human experience. What does it say about the human condition and deliverance? But it says that salvation is by grace alone. I had an individual that said to me, I I have worked, I am a gypsy of jobs, working my way through college and then through uh, graduate school at seminary, and I took a a myriad of jobs. My dad was one of those when I turned 12, I, I, I became of age somehow, and I had to start working all the time when I was 12, even though that's not true, I was very lazy. But he did make me go out and do things in the summer instead of sit around. And I had to mow someone's lawn and to be found diligent. Or I had to do something of some sort of fruitful task for myself. And so it began kind of then. And so between, I don't know, maybe 13 and then on through seminary, I've had quite a few different experiences and different jobs. Jack of all. Master absolutely of none. Yet it was interesting that at FedEx, I worked there for a short period of time. Indeed, actually with Pastor Dan. Um, there at FedEx and working on the airport in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And I had a, a, a conversation with an individual uh, there uh, discussing the Lord and uh, his work and his call for humanity to repent and believe and uh, thought on his kingdom. And we were exp- I was explaining the gospel to this individual, and this person says to me, you know, I would believe, here, here we stand on this, this open uh, container portion of, of a FedEx airplane, and the, the gate goes down, it drops, a big freight container is loaded, you bring it up, you bring it into the plane, you push it, and you lock it into place. So we're standing on this open airplane uh, and looking out at this gigantic tarmac area. And as I'm talking about the gospel, the person says to me, let me explain it to you like this. If he would just appear... Right now. And, and I don't know, maybe lift the plane up. Then I would definitely believe. Why doesn't he do that? Doesn't he appear like right now and, and testify to himself? And therefore we would all believe. You can't miss that. You see, Revelation 9 indicates something different. The book of Exodus indicates something different. And in fact, we know from human history, it is different. He did appear. Jesus did become flesh and dwell among us. And not everyone fell in belief. It's not an issue of seeing a new miracle or believing in a new sign. Or be giving a new type of human experience. It is about salvation through grace. How is one to be saved? Not through new signs that come, new judgments that are cast. For indeed, when the judgments are experienced in Revelation 9, humanity hardens heart and says, I will not repent. Hit me with your best shot. It is one through hearing the proclamation of the gospel that one saved, repentant of their sin, looking away from self-righteousness and unto Jesus Christ alone, not through a new sign and a new symbol, not a new miracle, but to Christ Jesus alone. 
This is the reality of the human heart from the book of Exodus, and it is reoccurring in human history even unto the final judgments. Fourthly, the fourth parallel between Israel's exodus from Egypt and the new Israel's exodus from Babylon is for there is the presence of a cloud and fire. Exodus 13 is this parallel experience to where we get into our text this morning. And don't worry, we're not just, this isn't all introduction, in case you thought we're starting on the first hour heading into the next three. Showing the easy parallels between the cloud and fire, between Israel's exodus of old and Israel's exodus of new. In Exodus chapter 13, I read for you verse 21. And the Lord went before them after this outstretched arm experience, redeeming them out from the house of slavery, taking them to a land that is promised, remembering his great covenant faithfulness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from them. This is where we get into our text this morning of Revelation 10 and the parallelism between the cloud by day and the fire by night, just as Israel of old was led to the promised land by day in the cloud and by night with a pillar of fire. God leads the new Israel to the promised land in like. Okay, here is a distinction that I am making that is critical. It is in like manner that God is leading Israel of the heart home. It is in like manner, yet it is indeed much more beautiful our experience. Notice with me if you're there in Revelation 10. I want to read for you verses 1 through 3 and show you this parallelism that through salvation, through judgment, God is leading the church of Christ home. Verse 1, then I saw another mighty angel. He was coming down from heaven. He is wrapped, there you see it again, in a cloud. So far, if the parallelisms between chapter 8, chapter 9, on into chapter 10, it's no surprise to see the mighty angel of deliverance appear wrapped in a cloud. He has a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand. He set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. Stop right there. The more beautiful manner, it is indeed like, but yet more beautiful, the manner of God's leading us is seen in this beautiful description. Because of Christ's birth, Obedient life, death, and resurrection, the new covenant people of God are not led today by a sign, that is the cloud in the sky, the sign, or the pillar of fire at night. We are not led by a sign or a symbol, not led by a shadow or a type of things to come. But we are led by Jesus Christ himself in all of his resurrected glory. This is the mystery of the gospel. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Notice the beautiful detail as we just gently walk through these comments here of his description. The cloud there, if I could make brief reference to the cloud, I won't assign each of these things, but if I could just make reference, if you are a note taker to recognize, perhaps you can meditate on the cloud is a comment on his heavenly dwelling here. The rainbow, his glory and his beauty. The sun that is shining is his radiant splendor. 
This is if we are to walk through and assign to each of these just kind of this apocalyptic literature, how it works, these grandeur images that it gives us as best as we can, as easily as we can access them. This is what I'm sharing with you. In the vision of the mighty angel standing who burns like sun is a comment on his radiant splendor. The fire that his presence is his strength and power to judge. And he roars like a lion. This indeed is the lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus Christ. In this description, we read out of Isaiah, very similar in the description, beholding the glory of the Lord. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is the glory of the Lord that is shining upon the church, no longer in shadow and in type, but in beauty and in glory in the man Christ Jesus who leads his church to the promised land. Next element out of this text I do wish to share before we close is that we can trust in his ability to lead us home. Indeed, this mighty angel appears and he is leading us from this judgment, bringing us to consummation of the glorious land that awaits us. And we can trust in our journey today that he will lead us to glory because he reigns over all. Is that your belief, saint? I guess I could ask each one of you in this room, and I think that uh, by way of uh, general consensus, we would get the same answer. Is there difficulty and strife? Are you striving in your living between the first coming of the Lord and his return? Where your life is found in between these times, do you experience strife and difficulty? I think it's fair to say everybody's nodding. Thank you, Miss Kathy, for your positive body language this morning. I'm with you. There is an age of difficulty, trial, and tribulation. And, and how can I, in this difficult age, how can I strengthen my heart according to promise? Not a new sign. Like, oh, I just, I, God gave me a sign. I, I need something more than that. That's too subjective. It can be easily extinguished with my new sign that I just got the next block. And now that sign undid this sign, so now I'm hopelessly lost again. I need something more definitive, more objective than signs that confirm that he's in control and that he is leading me home just as he promised. Because what I experience and seem to feel and respond emotionally to, tell me otherwise, I'm not going to make it. This is what my, my experiences are telling me. I need something to trump experience and give me truth to stand on today. I see his glorious appearing in his radiance. How can I find comfort in it? Well, look at the next couple of words in our text of verse 2 and 5. Here is a word of strength in light of his beauty. He had a little scroll open, on his, uh, open in his hand. Notice the activity of this one who has appeared. He set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders sounded, I was about to write it all down, but I heard a voice say to me, seal it up, what the seven thunders have just said. Do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing, here it is again, on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth, that is the land, and what is in it, and the sea, and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. Christ in this picture, this imagery of standing, here it is, this massive angel that John sees in this vision stands one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. And what does this mean to me right now in this difficult age? What is it communicating to me that's better than a sign? 
What is its truth that it's communicating objectively to me to hang my hat upon? You've guessed it already. Christ has dominion over the entire universe. And I belong to him. That is better than a billboard. That's more solid ground than the news report. This is the basis for the command to John later in this text. Prophesy, John, about Christ's sovereign rule to peoples, nations, languages, and kings, he tells him. In verse 11, take this truth of the sovereignty of Christ and his exaltation and preach it to everybody. Proclaim in his name salvation. Tell all men everywhere to repent. There is no place that is exempt in this earth, including your life, from his reign and rule. Do you live that way? Do you think, okay, here's my itemized list of my life. This is how I would kind of put together the makeup of who I am and what I'm all about. And in these categories that I'm listing out for myself, my expenditures, my time, my talents, my hates, my likes, my dislikes, my indifferences, my attitudes, my home, my children, am I putting these categories that are real experiences for me in light of the weight of the sovereignty of Christ who rules over land and sea? And all that is in it. Do I consider the categories of my life a part of that? Or am I embracing that confessionally? God reigns. I love Jesus. And I am found in him. Yet my life has lived outside of that. Apply this to your life, I trust, that there is no place, including your life, that is exempt from the rule and reign of Christ. Finally, the last portion of our text this morning is his authority. Christ pledges an oath to the Father in 5 through 7. Look with me briefly. And the angel whom I saw raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and all that is in the earth and what is in it and the sea and all that is in it. He raises his right hand. There will be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to the seven prophets. Typical of the Old Testament, God calls creation as witness. He calls the mountain, the seas, the trees, and all that is in them to stand as witness to his judgments. So too here does he in Revelation 10. He pledges to the Father, there will be no delay in the execution of your decrees when the appointed time arrives. My final word to you about the execution of God's decrees in the earth, that there will be no delay upon the execution of God's judgments. I'll read the last portion of the text to you and make my last comment to you, beginning in verse 8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel and I told him, Give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it and my stomach was made bitter, I was told, You must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, and languages, and kings. What is this last element of what we have looked at, at the redemption of God's people through judgment that is on this scroll that makes John feel that it is bittersweet. I would submit to you two things that are bittersweet about all of this. Number one, overcoming for the saints is through judgment. We will experience difficulty that is bitter in this age. And it is sweet to consider the overcoming that is ours in Christ 
but it is through suffering, and that is bitter. There is no escaping the reality of the difficult age in which we live, but there is promise for sweet overcoming. So indeed, the judgments of the Lord and the earth are bittersweet. Secondly, the message of judgment is itself bittersweet. I trust that each of us, in light of the book of Revelation, our reading of God's judgment that is going to befall humanity, I trust that we're reading it and we're hearing it and we're meditating upon it with sober reality. Is it bitter to you that millions of people will not repent and experience the wrath of God? Is that a difficult thing to behold and to meditate upon? Or are we cavalier in our thoughts of judgment? Well, they're going to get what's theirs. I think we're given a different ethic from this text, that indeed the judgments of God are severe. While they are sweet because it's our deliverance, they are bitter, and that they might befall even those closest to us. Finally, that moves us to speak of Christ's reign and rule to everyone that they might not befall the bitterness and experience the sweetness of Christ's deliverance. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you would strengthen us according to this text, that your great work of redemption would be known in our soul, that we are your Israel of the heart, both Jew and Gentile alike through the gospel of Jesus Christ and we are delivered by our God unto our Lord and we are led home in his majesty. So it is sweet. Yet, Lord, might we recall the bitterness of your judgments that will befall many. May it move us to a compassionate evangelism, a word of mercy and grace that your gospel would indeed achieve, the mystery will be fulfilled. Salvation will be preached to the ends of the earth. So, God, we think of those that are on the Nepal trip. In light of this text, would they prophesy about Jesus in his name, his rule, his sovereignty over land and sea and all that is in it? Indeed, even they are not removed from the glory of Christ and his judgments, yet Today, they can be offered sweetness in the gospel. So I pray for the trip, that it would be good, they'd be wise, and that you would empower with your gospel. Empower us here with that same empowerment of the gospel, the bittersweet love of Christ. In your name we pray, amen.